Exodus 16, while they're leaving the platform, Exodus 16 is where we're going to be tonight. All right, stand with me. Read this text. We've been in this mini-series on gratitude, and uh, we'll have at least one more thought. It might be a week or two before we get to it, post-Thanksgiving on gratitude, but we'll get there. And, uh, and tonight we're going to look at this, this thought. Exodus 16, verse 1. The Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them, whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, Even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. In the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we? that ye murmur against us. And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And he says again, What are we? He says, Your murmurings are not against us, but they are against the Lord. Then the, just the first part there, verse 12. The Lord, or verse 11, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. And He always does. God always hears our murmurings too. So let's say a word of prayer tonight. Then we'll get a sermon I've titled, An Unnatural Crime, The Sin of Ingratitude, out of this, this chapter tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank You, Lord, for the chance to be together again tonight. Lord, thank You for this week and the time that has been at least set aside by our nation, or many are going to express gratitude to You. And, Lord, where we might take quiet moments to reflect on your goodness to us. And I, I pray that we do that, Lord. Father, as Christians, the spirit of thanksgiving isn't once a year, but something that's to abide in our hearts continually. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look at these thoughts tonight to grab a hold of the spiritual discipline, to realize that ingratitude um, is a crime against you, against humanity, against our own souls. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we wrestle with this idea. Um, and, Lord, that you'd help each of us to find application and gratitude in our hearts for the world, for the life, for the goodness you've given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Israel had been uh, freed from, from bondage and from slavery. It's hard to imagine what that would be like in today's world. But they had been in slavery for such a long time. And they had taken on this slave mentality and... And God, through, of course, the miracles of the Old Testament and through Exodus, through Moses, and, and of course, the ten plagues, and just this miraculous working, God miraculously does the impossible. They're delivered from slavery, and they are led out of the nation of Egypt, and they've been traveling now for about 45 days. And it took about that long for the resources to begin to run dry. And so now they're running out of food, 
And as they're running out of food and as the resources begin to dwindle, their hunger and their exhaustion, I would imagine, as they travel begins to affect them. And the, escape, the excite, excitement that they had experienced after escaping from their enemies, this newfound sense of freedom that they had enjoyed for the past month and a half, were quietly squelched out by the physical needs that they felt. Rumbling stomachs often lead to grumbling mouths. And in our family, and probably many of yours, we call that hangry. Right? You got to keep some snacks around sometimes for the kids and the bigger uh, kids too, uh, because sometimes we just get a little hangry. And that's kind of where these people are at. In verse 2, the Bible says that the children of Israel, this whole congregation, they're hungry. They're looking at Moses and they look at, and they look at Aaron. And here they are, and they begin to murmur against them. And they're just beginning to complain openly. And instead of checking their impulses, instead of having faith in God, just whatever comes to mind, they allow their minds to think and then to express in word. And the Bible says, would, God, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Death would have been better than being hungry now, which wasn't true. We had flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. Because that slavery is such a great lifestyle and you wanted to stay there. And I'm being sarcastic. He says, you've brought us into the wilderness to die of hunger. You know, just as we struggle with the gravity of our physical needs, because sometimes we too can grumble. They were in the same spot. And before we villainize them too much, there's a lot of things that we grumble about too. There's a lot of things that we complain about. And here they are and they're overcome by their fear of hunger. And their focus shifts from what God had done, what God had provided, what God had promised them He would do. And it shifts to their needs and what they had in Egypt. And their complaints surpassed their empty bellies. And they began to think, well, we had better care in Egypt and serving someone else than we do in serving God. And life was better then, even though it really wasn't. They had been set free from slavery. They had excitedly escaped, yet they got their eyes off the Lord and their focus wasn't on what God was doing, but what God wasn't doing for them. They didn't focus on what they did have and the promises that God had made them and the continual provisions every step of the way. They were focusing on what they did not have. They judged God based on the difficulty of their circumstances in the moment, not on His character and not on His faithfulness and not on the mighty deeds that he had already done in their lives. Because we would ask the question, did God already have a track record of deliverance, guidance, and provision? And if we were to look before chapter 16, we would see the answer is unequivocally yes. He had freed them from bondage when the enemy was chasing them into the sea. And here they were that God closed the waters over the Egyptian army and in a moment wiped them all out. God had led them day and night by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When they needed water, God provided it in the most miraculous of ways. And would God and could God provide for their needs and their hunger as well? And of course the answer is yes. But no matter how good life was, it wasn't good enough. And it never would be. No matter how good God was, God wasn't good enough to them. And He would never be good enough. And we might ask the question, at what point in your life and in mine is life good enough? 
At what point would we say, God's good enough? And that's not where they were. And this came out in their attitude and actions, and eventually they would pay the price for their sins. The past few weeks, we've looked at thoughts about gratitude. The first idea was simply this, that gratitude requires thinking. Looked at an illustration with the life of Noah. That gratitude doesn't belong to a neutral mindset. That our minds aren't naturally grateful. That gratitude is for those who are engaged in thinking and processing the world around them. It requires effort. And then the last sermon we looked at how gratitude moves our happiness set point in life. That each of us has this set point in life for our, for our joy and our happiness. But gratitude helps us to exceed and supersede uh, that, that level of gratitude, that level of joy and, and happiness in our lives. So what about its absence? What happens when gratitude is missing? See, our default disposition in life is to think and to act without gratitude. No matter how much good comes our way, no matter how much we have been gifted, no matter how how good our health is, no matter how much money we have, no matter what nation we live in, No matter what our health condition is or what our age is, our default disposition in life is to be ungrateful. The dictionary definition of ingratitude is simply the failure, and I want you to listen carefully to this, the failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another, the forgetfulness of or poor return of kindness. It's this idea that I take all the good and I, and I don't think about it, I don't process it, and I don't say thank you. I just walk away. And it's never enough good for us. It's the choice to not recognize goodness and kindness in our life. It's a choice to allow ourselves to indulge in our grumpiness, to sulk, and to act peevishly, and to be okay with that. And not to hold our own attitudes in check with one another, in our job environments, and in our church place. There is always, always, always something to complain about. There is always fault to find. You will never run out of material in this church to complain about. You'll never run out of material in your marriage to complain about. You go, to a, you go to adult class, you have children in this church, do you have a job, you have a home, a house, a car, you'll always find something to complain about. It's there. And our body and our behaviors and our mentality and our emotions and our mindset take on, by default, the posture of negativity. And this should not be unexpected. See, we have a natural tendency to perceive input as negative. We are sinners that live in a fallen world, and sin has impacted us, and it has cursed us, and we live with a negativity bias. We all do. And it's been proven by those who study the social sciences in addition to what God's Word says. This is reflected in what we think. We think in terms of personal dependency. We don't like the idea any more than the children of Israel do of the idea of interdependence. We value and we want independence. We're self-made. We don't want to rely on God or anyone else. We don't like being dependent on Moses. We don't like being dependent on God. 
We want more agency than is allowed. Our negative bias and our negative thinking is reflected on our comparisons. We make judgments so easily. It's in our nature to compare. And we, and we, and we do it fluidly. And we do it consistently. We see people who are better off than we are, and it doesn't matter the context. We just naturally feel envious and resentment toward them. They make more money. And even if they don't, they have nicer teeth. <laughs> they have a thinner body. They have better behaved kids. One of mine was singing up here a moment ago and jumped off the front of the platform. <laughs> Nobody else's kid did that. The Israelites had longed for their freedom, and now they were ruining their freedom by wanting a life that wasn't theirs. Because good, now listen, is never good enough. We're in slavery and we complain. We're free and we complain. And as time will tell, and we'll get there in the text, oh, we're complaining about food, so God provides food. Well, now we want meat, so God provides meat. Well, that's not enough. We're tired of that kind of food, and now we want something else, like, like onions and garlics and all vegetables. Good is never good enough. The appetite's never satisfied. God couldn't make these people happy because they were ungrateful people. Epicurus wrote, Do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. But remember that what you know, but that what you now have was once among the things only hoped for. And we do that. We ruin consistently the good we do have by wanting that which we do not have. They compared themselves to a previous life. Not the bad parts of that life, just the good parts. Never mind if they had that life back, they really wouldn't want it either. See, their, their bias was towards negativity, and so is ours. And it wasn't just in their comparison. It was also in the fact that they perceived themselves as victims. And there are some in this life, in, in our world, and we know that truly are victims. But for the most part, we live in a therapeutic culture that finger points for problems and minimizes personal responsibility. We are wounded from self-inflicted wounds. We are mired in resentment for the world and for everyone in our lives because no one in our lives is good enough. It's never good enough. And victim thinking cannot conjure up gratitude. It cannot conjure up appreciation for life. The capacity for gratitude is diminished if non-existent at all. And what the text teaches us is simply this tonight. Ingratitude isn't just a crime against one another. It's a crime against God. Ingratitude is not the same as forgetfulness, though forgetfulness is equally poor. Forgetfulness isn't ingratitude, but a failure to respond to a gift with an appropriate feeling and display of thankfulness. You do something kind for me. You do something thoughtful. And, 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 and I should say thank you. And I should write that note and I should, I should recognize the sacrifice you made. And I intend to do that. It's in my heart to do, but I forget. Now look, that's not okay. We need to follow through with our gratitude. It's not expressed, and it needs to, gratitude needs to be expressed. 
But forgetfulness is not the same thing as ingratitude. Forgetfulness is non-gratitude. On the very first Thanksgiving Day, the inaugural day, proclamation of 1863, President Lincoln warned against forgetfulness. And he said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. He said, we have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. He said, we have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. And if our nation was forgetful in 1863, it's almost non-existent today. See, forgetfulness or non-gratitude is an omission. It's an absence of that which is good. But ingratitude is something that's entirely different. It's something negative. It's a form of evil. It's a form of punishment against. It's a willingness to disparage other people and to inflict harm upon them. It's a refusal to acknowledge good. Ingratitude is display of the dark and the monstrous side of human nature. Let me read a few quotes from scholars in years past. One man said, nothing more desirable does the earth produce than an ungrateful man. It was Shakespeare who said, I hate ingratitude more in a man than lying, vainness, babbling, drunkenness, or any taint of vice whose strong corruption inhabits our frail blood. James Thompson said, ingratitude is treason to mankind. David Hume, of all the crimes that human natures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is ingratitude, especially when it is committed against parents and appears in the most flagrant instances of wounds and death. Immanuel Kant, ingratitude is the essence of violence, and all these men aren't even Christians. But they recognize how dangerous ingratitude is in our lives. Gratitude is an emotion we feel from the right kind of thinking, but ingratitude is quite different because it's an accusation. A person doesn't feel ingratitude. They exhibit it through their words and through their deeds. It's a vice and it's a profound moral failure. And more than that, it doesn't just impact us, impact us, it impacts those around us because it sets us one against another. In Exodus 16.2, the Bible says this, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, and then what's that next word? Against. Here's Moses. Moses, <clears throat> I want you to go lead my children out of, it, out, of, out of slavery in Egypt. Wow, God, pick somebody else. I've got a lot going on on the backside of the desert raising sheep, and I'm pretty content. No, I choose you. Oh, God, I don't speak good. I choose you. Well, God, I, I don't want to do that. I choose you. So here's a man who gives up his life, sacrifices everything for these people. And he goes way 
outside his comfort zone, endangers his own life, takes these people on his back, wears himself out, gets to this point, and what do these people do to him? They come against him. That's what ingratitude does. They come against each other. We bicker and we fight. We, husbands and wives, they go against each other and families and children, church families, against one another. We take too many blessings for granted. We forget the good in our lives. And we come against those who do us good. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, said, No other vice is so hostile to the harmony of the human race as ingratitude. It will eat us from the inside out, destroy everything good and every relationship of value. It's degrading, it's demoralizing, and it is despicable. But it's not really the people around us we're opposing. And God wants us to make sure that we understand that. I can't imagine being Moses. I can't imagine standing in those shoes. And Moses had the clarity of mind, though. Moses had the wisdom of God. The Bible says he was a meek leader. Power. Yes, he was powerful. Yes, to be in his presence would have been something. But it was power that was under control. He had control of his spirit. And he had the wisdom in this moment to recognize something. In verse 7 it says, in the morning, he says to the people, you'll see the Lord God. He says, you're going to see him. Because your murmurings aren't just against me. You might think you're coming against me. You might blame me for being hungry. He says, but the Lord hears them. He says, you're not murmuring against us. He says, your murmurings and your complaining, they're against God. And he hears them. He says, the Lord, in verse 8, hears your murmurings, which he murmur against him. He says, what are we? I'm his servant. I'm just doing what he's asked me to do. I'm in the position he's asked me to be in. And you're coming against the Lord. Verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 12, the Lord said, I've heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. It's not lost on me. And in gratitude, it has no limits. You would think that through this story and God's kindness to them in this moment, that they would have learned their lesson. They would have learned, oh, God hears us. Oh, we better be careful. But they didn't, any more than some of us do. See, God's promises and God's faithfulness were not enough for them, and too frequently in our lives, it's not enough for us either. We find Israel in Numbers chapter 11 with continued provision of water and food and all their needs met. They are now 800 days in freedom that have passed, and there's more grumbling. Numbers 11.1, 1, and when the people complained, the Bible says it displeased the Lord. More time passes. Numbers 21.5, and the people spake against God and against Moses. They couldn't help themselves. The story just perpetuates itself. It just goes on and on, all the way through Nehemiah into the New Testament. The story continues. No matter how much goodness comes our way, ingratitude rises to take it for granted and to attack God. But there is a price attached. There was for them. And there is for us. One of the prices that we pay is the price of our health. Researchers have developed something known as the power spectral density analysis. And it gives them the ability to test neurocardiac function. In layman's terms, that simply means this. There is a healthy or an unhealthy communication that takes place between the heart 
and the brain. And they have figured out a way to, to put a metric behind that. So what goes on from here to here is impacted not just in our psychology, but in our physiology. And, and this is what they found. And they specifically were studying this idea of gratitude and ingratitude. That ingratitude is one of the chief emotions that creates a chain reaction in the body. Blood vessels constrict. Blood pressure rises. The immune system is weakened. The imbalance puts strain on the heart and organs. And serious health problems occur because we're ungrateful. And our nation isn't any healthier with all the medicine that we have because we have an ungrateful problem. Conversely, same study, practices have been shown, gratitude practices have been shown to create or even restore natural rhythms of the heart. And so what they did was they took these individuals in a room and, and they tried to calm them down. And they said, look, we, we want you to put your hand over your heart, and we want you to go into this meditative state of gratitude. And we want you to relax, and for 15 minutes, we want you to think, while we do this, this analysis on you, we want you to think of all the things that you're grateful for. And this is what they found after 30 days of doing this. So 15 minutes a day for 30 days. There were increases in, in, in uh, levels of immunoglobulin A, which is the predominant antibody found in the nose and the mouth, and it serves as the body's first line of defense against viruses. So instead of getting sick, they were much healthier. Favorable changes in hormone imbalance were found when practiced 15 minutes a day for 30 days. They found 23% average reduction in cortisol, which of course is the stress hormone. They found 100% increase in DHEA, which, is, which reflects a, a state of physiological relaxation. In other words, there was a direct connection for 15 minutes a day when someone sat there and thought, I'm going to think for 15 minutes straight about all the things I'm grateful for. There was a physiological benefit. And it wasn't just that. It was when they were ungrateful that there was massive problems physiologically as a result. And I tell you, we pay a price for it. But it's not just in our bodies. We pay a price with our relationships. People stay away from ungrateful people because no one likes them. This is really blunt tonight. We don't like ungrateful people. We don't like it when we do something kind and when we smile at someone and they never smile back. It's hard to shake someone's hand and have a really muted response. And they never shake anyone else's hand. You say, well, you shouldn't judge like that. You're right. And we do it anyway. We don't like ungrateful people. We have a hard time with them. And we all lose our relationships and those that are close to us. We pay a price in our bodies and our relationships. We pay a price from God. He's Savior. He's loving. He's kind. He's good. He's also judge. The story continues. And at, towards the end of Exodus, in Exodus 32, we read this passage that the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them. God says, I've had it. 
I'm tired of their murmuring. I'm tired of their complaining. I'm tired of their ungratefulness. And I'm tired of the way they're treating you, Moses. So you just step out of the way, and I'm going to start this nation over with you. I'm going to wipe these people out. Now, look, Moses, we know the story. He intercedes. He intercedes on their behalf, and God spares them because of Moses' intercession. But what would it be like to be in that spot? Where not just people are against you, but God Himself is against you. And this is the position that ingratitude puts us in with the Lord. So where does it come from? Well, it comes from thinking too highly of ourselves. In fact, an overly high opinion of self is the chief cause of ingratitude. One of the main books I'm using for support material through this study is a doctoral dissertation from the University of California. This man writes extensively about the relationships between self-absorption and ingratitude. The book was, his dissertation, I should say, it was published in 2007. And one of his main examples of narcissism is Donald Trump. This isn't a political statement, and I've just given you the timeline, so you understand that. It's a point about the state of affairs. He quotes Donald Trump in this, in this dissertation. He says, all the women on The Apprentice, which was a show that he had for a while. He said, all the women on The Apprentice have flirted with me, consciously or unconsciously. That's to be expected. Okay, again, that's not a political statement, and don't miss the point, because this point isn't about our, about our politics, it's about us. Many people who are anti and pro-Trump are just as narcissistic. And right now in this moment, we think our opinion matters more than everybody else's. So you're guilty. Many of us, if not all of us, have an overly high opinion of ourselves. And we have an overly high opinion of our opinion. (laughs) But it hurts us. Narcissists are profoundly self-absorbed. They lack the empathy needed to enter deep, satisfying, mutually enhancing interpersonal relationships. See, thinking too much of oneself is spiritual blindness. That's not what Christ has called us to do. We are called to think about other people. But it's not what we do by default. By default. Unless we choose differently, we think only about self. It's refusal to acknowledge that one has been the recipient of benefits that have been freely bestowed. And when we are preoccupied with self, we forget our benefits. And we forget our benefactors and our benefactor, with a capital B. And we have no reason to feel thankful for anyone or anything. Let me ask this question tonight. Which statement best describes you? Letter A. I expect a great deal from other people. Or letter B. I like to do things for other people. Which statement best reflects you? Letter A, I will never be satisfied until I get all I deserve. Or letter B, I take my satisfactions as they come. See, the A's are going to have a really hard time being grateful people. High expectations coupled with deservingness destroy our chances of feeling grateful 
for life's blessings. And if you're entitled to everything, well, then you're grateful for nothing. And if you owe nothing to anyone, and pastor stands up here, he talks this morning about not just being religious, but being spiritual. Talk about our tithes and our offerings and serving and truly finding the Lord, loving Him. We think, well, I don't owe all that. If you owe nothing to anyone, then you're a narcissist. And you're an ingrate. And here's the challenge from the text. God sees. And He hears. And He judges. And I'm just as guilty as anyone here. Ingratitude is too common in our lives. We take too much for granted. Unless we intend not to take goodness for granted, then we take goodness for granted. We have to choose to be different than our default. We have to be intentionally grateful people. We have to go to war with ingratitude in our hearts. The absence, of cons- the absence of conscious effort to build and sustain a grateful worldview will cause us to lapse into negative emotional patterns. Gratitude is a wellspring of life. It transforms us. And I did my best to present that idea a few weeks ago. It changes who we are fundamentally at the core of our being. But its absence is deadness. It's black and it's dark. And in too many of our souls, there's deadness. So in your heart tonight, is there a sense of discontentment? Do you complain a lot? Do you look at your life and just say, I don't have enough? Do you live in a state of, I want, I wish, I had, I miss? Because that's where the children of Israel were. A grumbling heart is the antithesis of a grateful heart. But here's the good part. Ingratitude doesn't have to have the final say in your life. Because God's grace surpasses the grumbling thoughts of our heart. And the beauty of grace is you don't have to earn it. And God stands ready to forgive us. And to accept us and to help us find the joy in life. He is gracious to forgive, but we have to practice gratitude. I plan to present another message soon on practicing gratitude. I assumed you didn't want to listen to me for another 40 minutes tonight. But we need to find a posture of gratitude in our hearts. And we need to practice it. And we need to intentionally choose today, this week, as Christians, not just because it's Thanksgiving, although it's a great week to start, we'd be fools not to leverage a week like this in our own hearts. But we need a purpose. This is a Christian discipline that we need to look at our lives and say, instead of grumbling to God for what we don't have, look at Him and say, God, thank you for what I do have. You will never have enough of anything No one will ever make you happy. You have to choose to fight this. You have to choose to be a thankful person. Let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.